0: So this morning, I would like I would like some interaction here, some some question and answer time. So you can talk back nicely. So here's a question: What makes a life beautiful? So to put this in a context, I went to a funeral recently. I heard this family talking about their husband and dad who had passed away, and it was clear that his life was beautiful. What would cause you to say that someone's life is beautiful, yours or, or someone else's? Give me some thoughts on this. Sacrificing? Yeah, sacrificial, yeah. What else? Kindness, exuding kindness in their, in their character. Yeah, what else? Happy, joyful, yeah. Nice to be around those people, right? Compassionate, yeah. Merciful, servant, yeah. Something I've been thinking a lot about lately has been uh, being gentle in a world that is not. (laughs) Being gentle. So yeah, these are character qualities, right? Notice nobody was like that they were rich, They had a nice car. They took that awesome vacation one time. Now, granted, if you did that with that person and character qualities came out in the midst of it, fine, you know, that's great. Generosity, gentleness, peaceful, loving. So let's look at the flip side of this. What in the last week made your life not beautiful? Work. (laughs) 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 Work. Work because of what it did to you or what came out of you? <laughs> yeah. You Spanish, teacher. Spanish teacher. If you're watching, I'm sorry, Spanish teacher. <laughs> a lot of teachers in this room, be careful. <laughs> Potholes. Dealing, dealing with people that don't have those things. What'd you say, Bill? Yeah. Taxes. Yes. So I would wager to guess that underneath these external things that we just talked about, work, potholes, Spanish teacher, people who are obnoxious around us, there's something that comes up out of us encountering those things, right? It's not just that like, existentially speaking, there's a problem with potholes, although there are in this town, but... It's what it does when you drive over it and you pop your tire or, you know, you realize your shocks have gone bad again in this town. You realize, you know, whatever. You know, when you're at work and you're dealing with that person and that stress comes out of you or that that fight you had with your spouse or the problem that you had with, you know, a loved one or a kid where just that that nastiness comes out of us. There's this this stuff that comes out in the midst of that. And whether it's from other people onto us or from us onto them, there's this this meanness, this hostility. You know, if somebody is generous and we would say that's a beautiful life, we encounter stinginess, or if somebody was compassionate, we encounter, you know, injustice in the world. And, and there's these, these things of selfishness and, and envy and pride. And it's what scripture calls sin, right? Like it's what comes out of us, it's what comes out of others towards us that we run into and bump up against that makes life less than beautiful. Well. Today, as we continue on in this series through James, looking at single-minded maturity, James starts drilling down on what makes a life beautiful. And he's comparing two kinds of wisdom, as it were, and saying there is a there is a wisdom that produces beauty, and there's a wisdom that produces sin and ugliness and, and disorder. And at the one, at the root of the one wisdom is the gospel, is the peace of Jesus. And, and what comes out of it is gentleness and, and purity. And James says, this is the wisdom from above. But on the other hand, there's, there's one that's, this wisdom, is, if you can call it that, this knowledge, this way of the world that is of the flesh, of the devil, of, uh, of, of the world, right? That he calls earthly wisdom, And he's comparing and contrasting these two things and saying to this church of people, these listeners, these people who said they were Jesus followers, he's saying, which one do you have? Which wisdom are you living by? What's coming out of you? And we're going to dive into that today. And so if you remember in the book of James, in this letter, this sermon, maybe it is that that in this context, he has been, been pushing people for a genuine faith, expressing itself in works. Like genuine faith works. Genuine faith actually produces good deeds, he says. And he's been pushing for a single-minded maturity rather than a double-minded immaturity, that wavering back and forth, the, the, the hypocritical nature of people who don't really know or stand for something. And he's been pushing for a loving community of people that doesn't have favoritism, that isn't valuing the rich over the poor, that doesn't have fighting, that is united, And that's really what he's going after today because in this church of people was a bunch of hypocrisy, a bunch of favoritism and people who weren't getting along with one another. And he's saying, do you really think that you're Jesus followers if you're acting like this? You better check yourself. What's actually going on? What wisdom are you actually living by? And so the idea today is that godly wisdom, right? Gospel-centered wisdom is satisfied in Jesus, fully satisfied in Jesus and gentle towards others. And it's a satisfaction in Jesus that actually leads us to have peace with others, to be gentle towards the people around us, to have a beautiful life. If have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn to James 3, I'll put it up there on the TVs behind me. We're going to read the remainder of James 3, starting in chapter, I mean, sorry, 3, verse 13, going up to the first couple verses in chapter 4. So James says this, who among you is wise and understanding? He's kind of poking at him a little bit. Who, who, you know, all right. Who of you actually thinks that you're wise and understanding? By his good conduct, by his good conduct, the word there really means beautiful life. By the goodness of this person's life, by the beauty of their life, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. Underline that. The gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and act like you have wisdom, right? Don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Yikes. He's speaking to churchgoers. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you or wage war within your members? You desire and do not have, so you murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures, so that you may spend it on yourself. So why is James making this argument? I would argue he's making this argument because there are people in the room who are boasting, about their goodness, about, their, about how great they are in Jesus, about the wisdom that they have, the way that they're going about life. And they have no self-awareness. And he says, they're actually deniers of the truth. They don't realize the, the the nastiness that's inside of them, that's coming out and hurting the people around them, that they are full of selfish ambition and envy. And I would argue that probably what's attached to that is some people are being religious. Look at me, I go to church. Look at me, I give a lot, but they're jerks. He's like, this is a problem. This is a problem. This selfish ambition, this envy that's coming out of you, this is not of Jesus. This is not of the gospel. They have wisdom, but their behavior doesn't line up, and he's just drilling down on it. So I want to compare these two things, right? Comparing earthly wisdom and wisdom that is from above, the way that James does, and sort of figure out like where we are on this spectrum, Right? And and really, this is part one of two talks. Next week, we'll sort of wrap this up where he he gets even tougher and starts calling them adulterers. Like he's like, bam, like just James doesn't cut corners. Like he's just all over. So this is part one, right? So we're gonna look at this earthly wisdom versus gospel wisdom or godly wisdom. So earthly wisdom, boasting is what he's saying it is. Boasting about the wisdom that these folks have. Where does it come from? Where does he say that it it comes from? The origin, he says, is earthly, unspiritual, And demonic. So to me, I identify these as like the three enemies of the soul. Earthly, uh, meaning it, it, it's worldly, right? It's of, it's of this temporal world. It's, it's unspiritual, meaning it's of the flesh. It's of my own fallen flesh. Or it's, it's demonic, meaning it's from the devil, right? And these are the enemies of our soul, the world, the flesh, the devil. And he's saying, that's this wisdom that you're saying you've got. It's actually coming from that. It's coming from those places, And he says, what it's producing in the heart is envy and selfish ambition. In their heart, it's all about me, 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 and this dissatisfaction in life and bitter envy of what people have and a selfish ambition to get ahead and make something of my life. It's saying, I want what you have. I'm not happy with what I've got. I want what you have. Or I'm going to make something of my life and I don't care what it means to you. I'm going to get ahead this selfish ambition. John Mark Comer, I'm reading his book right now, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and he identifies this as like the, the, the accumulation or accomplishment. Just constantly fighting for accumulation or accomplishment. And it leads us to this place of restless ambition, of constantly stirred up so we can get ahead, constantly stirred up so we can have what other people have. But what does James say the outcome is of that? He says, disorder and every evil practice. Saying when this is in your heart, and this is coming out of you. It leads to disorder, chaos, uneasiness in the room, uh, d- you know, disorder amongst people in a relationship and every evil practice that goes along with it. So then he names these evil practices, right? You get into chapter four, he starts naming what's coming out of them. He says, wars and fights. He says, what is the source of wars and fights among you? It's two different words. We think wars and fights, what's the difference? Really what he's talking about is always being at the ready to fight at the drop of a hat, ready to just go at it. Facebook, anyone? Just ready at the drop of a hat. Like, I'm just going to fight. In your home, people in church, just constantly geared up, ready to fight for something that you believe in, something that you're for, something that you want. Or he says, you're trying to get it for these passions that are inside of you. So there's these selfish passions inside of us. And I would argue this is the flesh, right? These deceitful passions that we think are going to fulfill us. They tear us up on the inside. He says another outcome is murder and unquenchable coveting. Now, most commentators, if you read them say, we don't really think that there were murders happening. I'm not sure there weren't. Seriously, he mentions it three times in the book of James. Now, granted, he could be using Jesus's language and analogy to say, you know, if you hate your brother, you've got murder in your heart. Maybe, and that makes a great point. But I also see him accusing the rich of abusing the poor. And he links murder to it. I'm like, did something happen there that he's identifying and putting his finger on and saying, how can you call yourself Jesus followers? Look at this selfish ambition and this envy that comes out of you to the point that you're murderous in your hearts. Now listen, most of you are now sitting there thinking, well, I'm not murderous in my heart. I hope not, right? Hopefully I'm not, hopefully you're not. We're not going around beating people up for our selfish ambitions. But let's be honest. You do see some of this come out in your life, right? Leading to a non-beautiful week, right? In some way. So in my house right now, we now have three teenagers. One who has a license, meaning there's now additional car being driven around. One who's about to get his license. Three now have jobs. Like we're headed into the craziest half a year that we've had as a family. I know it. Two of them are playing sports. Two of them have a significant other. It's weird, it's getting weird in my house, all right? Like this is like new territory. But what it means is there's all these different people with different priorities, different schedules. It's not like you got three toddlers that you can just drag around and make them do whatever you want now. Not like that was much easier, but you know what I'm saying. So now there's all these people who've got their own ambitions, They want what the other person has, which is to lay on the couch instead of doing their chore, right? They want the car when the other person has it. They wish they got paid as much as the other one did, right? None of us are murderous. Maybe at times you feel it, right? So we have a tendency to hear things like this and we're like, oh, well, that's other people. Eh, It's all of us. It's all of us. Think Think of a fight you had this week. Don't look at anybody, but... Think of a fight you had this week, a problem you ran into this week where this angst came out of you. What was at the root of that? I had a fight yesterday with Jess over uh, not putting the rack in the oven correctly. She was telling me what to do and I just completely ignored her. Completely ignored her. And then it blew up when she was like, why are not you listening to me? I'm like, why are you being mean? What the heck? What the heck was happening there? So stupid, right? What was happening was in my heart, I didn't want to be told what to do. My own ambition was to be in charge. What about you? What fights did you have this week? And what was at the root of it? What wisdom were you living by in those moments that that came out? Probably some level of I want what I want. Or some level of I want what you have authority talent, money, time, laziness, whatever. I want what I want or I want what you have. I just want to play Wordle in peace. Leave me be, all right? I deserve that raise. I deserve that promotion. Why did he get that part and not me? I wish I had a boyfriend like she does. I wish I had athletic ability like she did. It's envy. This ambition, it's inside of all of our hearts. It's of the flesh, it's of the devil, it's of the world. And James is saying, this should not be in the church. This should not be in the people of God. So he's warning them, saying, if you're going around bragging about how wise you are, and you're seeing these things in your lives, eesh, better check your heart, see what's happening in there. And so if this is one side of things, is this earthly wisdom that produces disorder and all kinds of sinful behavior and, and it's rooted in selfish ambition and envy, he paints a picture of the other side as well. The beautiful life is what I would call it. Gospel wisdom, grace-oriented wisdom from above. So that's the origin, right? He tells us that the origin of this, this other wisdom, this godly wisdom is from above, which is not the first time that he is saying this. Remember, he's talked about receive the implanted word from God. God is the giver of good gifts, the father of lights who rains down good gifts, right? Like he's constantly talking about what comes from God. He's saying, so this wisdom, if you have it, it's from above. And if those the flesh, the world and the devil are enemies of our soul, he's saying it's coming from God, who's the lover of your soul. He's the one who actually cares for you and wants good for you and pours this new life into your hearts from above and gives you a new kind of wisdom. And what does it do when we receive the implanted word of Jesus, of the gospel? It makes our hearts pure, right? The origin of these things starts to change. And rather than an origin of of a fleshly heart that moves towards selfish ambition and envy, it's a pure heart. And that word there, pure, is everything that you would think it means. Undefiled. Think of someone with an undefiled heart, an innocent heart. Virgin. Sacred. It's actually connected to the word holy, meaning set apart, totally different, totally other, set apart to worship. And if the other is this restless, just ambition, this, the opposite, would be restful abiding, a heart that just abides in Jesus, that Jesus abides with in purity. And the outcome of that is obvious. Gentleness, it's peace, it's love. It's all the things we talked about that make a beautiful life of someone who's restfully abiding in Jesus. Look at those words of me again in verse 17. He says, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace loving, ready to make peace as opposed to always being ready to fight. Gentle, Compliant. I I don't really like the translation of compliant right there. If you get into it, really what it means is able to be persuaded. When was the last time you were able to be persuaded in the midst of a tense argument? Not compliant, like getting rolled over, but able to talk, able to dialogue, able to be persuaded, full of mercy and good fruits, meaning these good things coming out towards people in need, unwavering, meaning steady, even keel, Right? which goes back to his beginning, right? Not being tossed about like a wave, just unwavering, steady, even keel. how much I want that in my life? Man, I need that. Without pretense means not hypocritical, not changing back and forth, but singular minded. When this comes out, it changes how we act towards the people around us. We become a more loving, gentle person, a beautiful person who cares well for the people around us rather than just having selfish ambition and envy at the root, which this should sound familiar. Back in chapter one, what did James say? Verse 19 of chapter one, he says, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, meaning being pure, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So, what he's saying is when you are living from this wisdom from above, when the gospel's been planted in your heart in a true and genuine way, you're able to be slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen pure in your intentions rather than living in a place of selfish ambition and envy and the restlessness that accompanies it. So the question is, we have to ask ourselves, how are we measuring up to that? Are we doing that? So that's why, again, I ask you, like, what did last week look like? What's the last couple months looked like in your work environment, in, in your home, in your relationships with people that you love and interact with regularly? in the church, in your community group? Are we exhibiting this type of gentleness that comes from wisdom? Because if we're not, we might be living by the wisdom of the world, is what he's saying. Selfish ambition and envy. Are we cultivating lives of peace that are producing the fruits of righteousness? Sowing these seeds of righteousness from a purity of heart, not of religion, not of selfish ambition, of just trying to live the peaceful life in Jesus because of our pure heart that's at rest in abiding in him. Can you imagine what this life would look like for you? Being able to tolerate those people you work with. Being able to smash through a pothole without freaking out. being able to realize that that annoying teacher is actually, it's doing something inside of you, making you more like Jesus and becoming more gentle like him in the fullness of life. When you bump up against those people who are egotistical or envious or or self-ambitious and restless and wanting to put you down, you can say in your heart, yeah, but I've got Jesus. I have fullness of life in him and exuding gentleness and peace. Can you imagine what life would feel like in our families, in our church, in our community? How much does the world need this? Truthfully, how much do we need it as individuals? How much do we want this, right? It would feel so different. So again, we have to ask ourselves the question, why don't we have it? What's the problem? Why do we not live in that place of gentleness, of peace, sowing seeds of righteousness in peace? Well, I would argue that our hearts are still divided, right? And this is what James is after. We still have this impurity in our hearts of selfish ambition, of envy, of of trying to get what we want and constantly being dissatisfied, constantly discontent. Again, I've talked about this before. I'm an Enneagram one. I am constantly discontent. Constantly wishing the world was more perfect. Wishing that I was more perfect. Wishing that people were more perfect. That's a weird kind of ambition, right? Am I gonna make the world perfect? Is the world suddenly going to get perfect because Jim tried real hard, right? It sounds ridiculous, right? But that's what's driving me, right? So i got a divided heart. So what's driving you to get what you want, making you dissatisfied, whether it's wealth, whether it's safety, whether it's relationship, whether it's acclaim, accumulation, accomplishment, I don't know. Wishing we had what others have constantly, you know, wishing that we had the car that they had, the vacation they had, the life that they had, the, the spouse that they had, the relationship, the athletic ability, the grades, the smarts, whatever it is. And let me tell you something, our capitalistic environment loves to prey on this. Social media loves to prey on this and just bury us in it making us constantly dissatisfied, wishing we had more, wishing we had a better life. But friends, the better life is the wise life in Jesus a life of gentleness, a life of purity, a full life of abiding and resting in Jesus. But instead, so often like spoiled children, we, we're just running around expecting that we deserve good and, and, and working real hard to get it and not even thinking to run it by God. And then if we do run things by God, James says he's not gonna give it to us because we're asking out a place of total selfishness just so we can spend it on our own pleasure, he says. And it isn't really about wisdom. It isn't really about experiencing a full life in Jesus. So it causes us to fight at the drop of a hat, flip our lid so quickly, whether it's in person, online, flipping the bird to somebody that cuts us off on the road, right? I've never done that, right? Murderous in our thoughts, hateful, spiteful towards people that have things that we want, bitter bitter feelings that we harbor towards others, family members, coworkers, I would argue it's because we're dissatisfied in Jesus, that we've too easily settled for other things and fallen into the trap of the wisdom of the world. St. Augustine, an early uh, church leader, says that you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Hear that word, restless? This is what ambition causes, this is what envy causes, covetousness. It's this, this restlessness. And Augustine says, You have made us for yourself. And our heart is restless until it finds its rest, till it finds its home in you, God. Friends, our rest comes from abiding with the Father, of abiding in God. And selfish ambition and envy, James is arguing, is of this earth, and we will never be satisfied. Enough is never enough. We always want more. We are never content. There's always gonna be somebody who has better things than you, a better life than you, better looks than you, better talent than you, like better stuff than you. And we're constantly gonna be dissatisfied. And it leads us to this ambition to keep driving and get ahead and prove ourselves and provide for ourselves. It keeps making us envious of the people around us. And Augustine is saying, you will never find it. It's only when we are satisfied in the fullness of Jesus in our lives that we actually will find peace, that we will find rest. It's hearts made pure by Jesus, by the indwelling of his spirit, that are able to find their satisfaction and their peace and home in God. Look at me at Matthew 5. Jesus is talking to, this is known as the Sermon on the Mount, He's speaking to tons of people who are under the boot of Rome, living in poverty, got no bank account, no savings, no college plan. There's no way to get ahead. Outcasts in society. Listen to the promises that Jesus gives them. He's speaking into their current reality. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed, joyful, happy are the pure in heart for they will see God. Man, what a relief that had to have been for these folks. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons, daughters, children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, people trying to make peace, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Trying to live righteously, uprightly, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. These people are trying to live the beautiful life, a godly life, being pure in heart, being peacemakers, being people who are doing uh, righteous deeds. And what Jesus is saying is, Yours is the kingdom. It's yours. You get God. This is the reward. You get God, you get his presence. You get his kingdom. You'll be called his children. And so I would argue that as Jesus lives this out throughout the rest of the Gospels, we see that the only way we can really have this is through him. Through him giving us a heart of flesh, of getting rid of our impure hearts and giving us his own heart that comes through his death and resurrection. In Ephesians 2, Paul is writing a letter to a group of people who are fighting with one another over their identity. They could not be any further apart at this day and age. Gentile people and Jewish people fighting over their identity, over what makes them important, what makes them special, what should give them power and authority. And Paul wipes all of it away as bunk and says, no, 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 no. It's only in Jesus that you can have unity. It's not over your identity. It's not over your ambitions. It's not over what you envy in one another. It's not over your status. It's only about your status in Jesus that you can actually have peace, that you can actually live this out in the joy of the presence of God. Verse 12 says this. He says, at that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he is our peace. He is our shalom. He is our rest. He is our wholeness who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. And we're fighting over identity and we're fighting over what I have and you don't or what you have that I don't. No more selfish ambition to get ahead and be the greatest in the kingdom. He says, you have it all in Jesus. It's only in him that you can be one. He tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man, one new humanity from the two, resulting in what? Peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. The selfish ambition, he puts it to death. The envy, he he puts it to death on the cross. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Now listen to this. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. Jesus is saying all that stuff that makes us fight one another, All that stuff that James is describing here in this church, the disorder, the sinful behaviors that come out, the way they're treating one another so poorly, murderous in their hearts, coveting what the others have, selfishly putting other people down so they can get ahead. He says, all of that is meaningless. All of it is meaningless compared to life in Jesus. He's saying it's only in him that you can actually have unity. It's only in him you actually have peace with God and can have peace with others. Rest with God so they're not restless towards one another. Rest in God so we know that we are children of God. Co-heirs with Jesus, every one of us. Be able to live a life of gentleness towards one another because I don't need anything and you don't need anything. We have everything that we need in Jesus. And when we know that, we can share with one another. We can bless one another. I don't need to get ahead and put you down and vice versa. It doesn't have to be true either. He's saying Jesus is our only source of corporate and personal peace. Peace. Jesus, who gave up his self-ambition of being king over all things to come in a human form as our way to the Father. Jesus, who did not envy his status with God, did not covet it enough to hold on to it, but gave it up and became in the likeness of a servant so that we could become children of God. Jesus, uh, who was the, the purest of all, the purest heart of all, allows his heart to stop beating so that you and I can have life. This is the goodness of our God towards us. He says, believe this, receive this wisdom from above so that you can have peace with one another, so you can love people in gentleness. Friends, Jesus is our peace. It's the only way that we can become gentle human beings. It's the only way we can get rid of the self-ambition and the envy that drives us to hate one another, that drives us to murder and and be uh, against one another, to cause all this kinds of disorder and chaos. It's abiding instead of ambition, abiding in the finished work of Jesus abiding in his presence. Jesus is our peace. There's no need for me to fight for my own way, for my own stuff, because he has given us God. Everything we need is in the father, he says. There's no need for me to fight to get what others have, because he has given us the kingdom, an unshakable kingdom that cannot be taken away. We are co-heirs to Jesus now and for all of eternity. It cannot be taken away. Jesus has given us a pure heart, one that can identify when we're off somewhere and say, no, 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 that's not the gospel. No, 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 I don't want that anymore. No, 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 I'm gonna choose Jesus instead of that ambition. I'm gonna choose Jesus instead of that envy. So here's what I wanna do. What does this mean for our real lives? How do we abide in Jesus? How do we actually start to live out the beautiful life? Let's, Let's just assume that we are all Jesus followers here, We've all made some kind of like declarative decision in our life at some point and say, yeah, you know what, I'm in. He's king, I'm not, I'm a sinner. I need his grace and mercy, I'm in. Let's just assume we're all in that place, all right? Think through where you're going to have a fight this week. Take a minute and just think through. Where are you gonna have a fight this week? And you know where it is. Spouse over something, kid over something, coworker over something. It's the normal fights. You have them all the time. Just imagine one, predict. I'm gonna get upset about the kids not going to bed calmly when I ask them to. There's my example for this week, real example. 18 years, still bothers me. I don't know why, Jess is like, what is wrong with you? Get over it. It disturbs my peace, right? In my selfish ambition, I would like quiet at that point. You laugh, but you've lived it. So why will you have that fight? What's at the root of that? What ambition or what envy is at the root of that? So now for the left brain people in the world, let's think about the mind for a second. How does your identity as a child of God give you peace in that situation? What has Jesus purchased for you through his death and resurrection that gives you peace in the midst of that situation? That says, you know, it turns out I actually don't need to be overly ambitious about this. I actually don't need to envy this thing that this person has to where it comes out of me in some covetous rage. How is Jesus your peace to make the two one in the midst of that situation? And for the right brain, for the relational side, for the heart side of things, I would say, can I ask you to consider taking five minutes a day and practicing silence and solitude? To be quiet, to find time, make time. We have it, find it, get it, harness it, go do it. Take five minutes, maybe in your car when you got to work, you pull up outside, you leave a couple minutes early, get there, five minutes. Maybe it's in the shower. Maybe the kids, maybe you're able to be home and the kids aren't, nobody's home. You're able to have time to yourself, fine. Whatever it is, Get, take five minutes and just practice silence. Put the phone away, turn off the television, put the laptop away. Five minutes of just quiet silence before God and ask him to speak. I dare you. Ask him to speak. Say, Father, what do you want to say to me right now? What do you want to tell me about me? What do you want to tell me about you? What do you want to tell me about us? I've, I've shared this with you before. There are times when I pray and I ask Jesus to speak and I hear one word, love. Love. There's times when I hear him say things about me as an individual. There's times when he brings up some of your names. I get to pray for you. It's beautiful. I don't know what he'll say. But I'm telling you right now that if you're not taking time to do that and you're only operating in your left brain of just memorizing Bible verses, you're not actually experiencing the fullness of relationship with Jesus. And that's the only thing that leads to peace. It's the only thing that leads us to have this this wisdom from above that he wants to give us that then exudes itself in gentleness, in peace, in kindness for the world around us. Linking up those Bible verses that we put our faith in and we should and actually experiencing the God who they're about. And knowing him in a loving, relational way. And at the end result of that, if you, when you get to live that, is you're living in a wisdom that leads to gentleness. That leads to peace. That leads to full life. We are going to take communion together. Some final thoughts before we move to singing and and taking communion together. We will only grow in purity of heart as we find our satisfaction in Jesus. If we're content in him. It's him alone who purifies us through his death and in finality in his resurrection, right? And in our being resurrected someday. We will only grow a beautiful life as we sow seeds of righteousness in the peace that Jesus brings. Not in our religion, not in our legalism, just from a pure heart that Jesus gives us saying, I want to live a righteous life. I'm going to work towards this. We will only become gentle when we are so calm in our own hearts because of the finished work of Jesus. There's no more work, no more striving to do. We have everything we need in his death and in his in his resurrection. But it's only if we really believe that and experience that, that it will start to come out of us in the way that we treat the people around us. This is what James is after. Saying, don't boast in your selfish ambition and your envy. Boast in the wisdom that comes from above, which is Jesus. It's the implanted word of Jesus Christ in our souls.